third reading today comes from Acts chapter 9, verses 1 through 20. Meanwhile, Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus, so that if he found any who belonged to the way, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Now, as he was going along and approaching Damascus, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? He asks, who are you, Lord? The reply came, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, but get up and enter the city and you will be told what you are to do. The men who were traveling with him stood speechless because they heard the voice but saw no one. Saul got up from the ground and though his eyes were open, he could see nothing. So they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. And for three days he was without, he was without sight and neither ate nor drank. Now there was a disciple in Damascus named Ananias. The Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias. And he answered, I, here I am, Lord. The Lord said to him, get up and go to the street called Straight. And at the house of Judas, look for a man of Tarsus named Saul. At this moment, he is praying, and he has seen in a vision a man named Ananias come in and lay his hands on him so that he might regain his sight. But Ananias answered, Lord, I've heard from many about this man, how much evil he has done to your saints in Jerusalem, and here he has authority from the chief priests to bind all who invoke your name. But the Lord said to him, Go, for he is an instrument who I have chosen to bring my name before Gentiles and kings and before the people of Israel. I myself will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. So Ananias went and entered the house. He laid his hands on Saul and said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on your way here, has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately something like scales fell from his eyes, and his sight was restored. Then he got up and was baptized. And after taking some food, he regained his strength. For several days he was with the disciples in Damascus. And immediately he began to proclaim Jesus in the synagogue, saying, He is the Son of God. Friends, let us pray. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of each of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So this story of Paul's conversion is a particularly well-known one to us. Most of the time, if you ask people about Bible stories that they know and you talk about Paul, somehow they'll get to the point where it's like, didn't, wasn't he struck by Jesus and was blind for a couple days and then could see and then he changed his name and everything, and that's all very true. And I think it's because we know how prolific Paul is, right? You look at the New Testament... And the way that the folks who designed the canon and brought it together recognized that his voice was pretty important. And so most of the uh, books of the New Testament are either written by Paul directly or people say we want it to be attributed to Paul. Very few are not in some way linked to Paul. So he's an important figure. Knowing his call story is pretty important. I also think it indicates that Saul slash Paul was good at what he did. He was a good writer. 
obviously seemed to get this whole Jesus thing well enough that people centuries later said, this is the person that we need to sort of understand who we are. He was zealous. Hearing even in this beginning of this story here in chapter 9, he really seemed to want to do his job well. And he was so good at it that all of these other synagogues gave him extra authority, enough so that Ananias was understandably a little bit concerned about getting to know this guy. He was good at what he did. He was determined. He was thoughtful. And he was logical. If any of you have spent time reading all the way through Romans, you know Paul is really good at building logical arguments, point to point to point. And here's the thing. If you have any doubt about whether Paul was good at what he did, don't worry because Paul will tell you at some point in one of his letters. Now, oftentimes it's to connect to say, but look at what Jesus has done in me. All these things I was really good at, they're in the past because I am now saved by Jesus Christ. But either way, he was pretty gifted. And I wonder had what happened here in Acts not had happened if he would have continued to go the way that he was going. And if you're good at something and you're doing the thing that you're good at, it's really hard to think that you're going to stop. So yeah, had Jesus not all of a sudden showed up, maybe Saul would have continued persecuting the new Christians, would have continued to bind them up. Good at what he's doing and continuing to do it. But then he met Jesus in a really interesting way. He met Jesus, the resurrected one. And he was interrupted by this holy story. The holy story that we heard at Easter, Jesus coming back from the dead, God bending the world, everything, the fabric of the universe to demonstrate how much God cares for us. How Jesus died, was buried, and was resurrected. This holy story that we are sharing over these next few weeks, reminding ourselves, how do we live into it? Paul got interrupted by that holy story. Now, if you remember, we talked about this last week. This holy story is not one of vengeance. Right? It would be easy to think. After reading the first part of Paul and reading this whole scales going over his eyes, that this was a God-getting Saul, right? I'm going to stop you. Shame on you for killing these new followers, binding them up and sending them to Jerusalem. Strike one for the good guys. But these stories over and over again are not stories of vengeance, not stories of God being able to get one over on the people who seem to be bent against him. No, this seems to be resurrection. And resurrection isn't vengeful. So instead, it seems that Paul was put in reverse. I had originally planned for the children's story of a car, but it seems just as good for all the rest of us, too. Paul was put in reverse. His way was turned around. And what does it look like? Any of you who have driven before kind of have a sense of what reverse is like. And you probably do it enough now that you don't think about all the varying machinations that are required in order to get your car successfully in reverse and move yourself in another direction. You just do it. 
But let's think about it for a second. To go in reverse, you first have to be going in some direction, right? You have to be headed towards some way. And that's what was happening with Paul. Paul was looking to bind up believers. I love this phrase that Luke uses, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples. So this wasn't even just, you know, saying things. This was in his literal breath, his inhaling and exhaling, the thing that brought him life. It was breathing threats and murder. So Saul was completely consumed by this work. He was going 75 in a 45, all about making sure that the disciples were gone. And he was good at what he did. And then, as any of us that might be driving forward by accident towards a garage door know, at some point you recognize that you can't go in the same direction. And Jesus reminds Paul, in a particularly flashy moment, that he can't go the way that he's been going. One has to stop. And so Paul then, like any of us do, tend to come to a stop. Paul had to stop for three days. And I think Luke is trying for us to keep in the back of our minds that perhaps Paul had to go through the same three days of death and resurrection that Jesus did. Never ignore the fact when numbers start to parallel each other because the authors are trying to tell us something. So Paul, Saul, here in this moment, is undergoing his own stopping, his own not moving in the same direction that he was. And it's not just stopping to have some patient reflection sitting you know, in the dark in a rocking chair somewhere. This is stopping everything. He doesn't eat. He doesn't drink. He doesn't move. Everything stops for him for those three days. And then, usually when we have to go in reverse in a vehicle, the next thing we do after we've come to a stop is we have to shift gears. And so it seems that Ananias provided some assistance to help shift the gears. Laying his hands on Paul and telling him what he was going to do next. And then finally, we see that Saul ends up going in a new direction, right? Saul is now no longer even Saul. His whole name changes. Now he's Paul. And now he's taking these same gifts, these same things that he is, this zealous, thoughtful, logical, determined person, and now he's sending it to the world, bringing disciples in for Jesus Christ. Paul has successfully completed a three-point turn. Tell your 15-and-a-half-year-olds that. Even his name is new. So this holy story, living into the resurrection, can put our lives in reverse too, but it requires us to follow similar steps. We're able to recognize the direction we're going. That seems to be the first thing. Although that's particularly hard, right? If you're just moving through the day, sometimes it is really easy 
to be the detached, unobservant passenger in your own life. I think it's especially hard. I notice this sometimes with Lindsay and I when we have conversations. We'll talk about we have this thing to do and that thing to do, and we're both working full-time now, and we have two kids, which, you know, they kind of take over most of your life. And so at some point, you don't feel like you're the driver in your own life. Everything else around you is coming at you, and you don't get a chance to take the all, your own wheel of your own life. But in some ways, we do have control. Even if it's just a moment to say, this is who I am. This is who, where I'm going. Good, bad, or indifferent. And we might have a moment of recognition about our direction being untenable. If we can find a way to grasp control out of the tyranny of the urgent, and we can gather ourselves even for just a moment, we can recognize, oh, maybe we're not going the way we want to. Maybe all of these things that I have to do every day, maybe all of this work I have to do, maybe working two jobs and working 60 hours a week and having to send everybody everywhere is not really where I want to be. Even having that moment might be a revelation. But I think, and this is where I think the grace comes in, it can be really hard to stop. And if you've ever tried, I mean, I am not a stunt driver, but if you've ever tried to knock your car into reverse while you're going full paced, it's not going to end well. I'm not that good of a driver. You're likely going to lock up your transmission. You're likely going to flip the car over. And how many of you have felt like that after trying to stop when you know things are going out of control? So if there's any grace in this, if there's any grace in Saul's move from who he was to Paul, is it takes time to slow down especially if you were going pretty fast to begin with. Not all of us are going to get zapped blind in the middle of a road. I hope not. But there are places in our lives that will start to prick us a little bit as if scales are progressively coming and making our vision a little bit more difficult, right? I'm sure every single one of you right now at some point is feeling the scales on your eyes, wanting to stop. Take your time. Don't rush it. Something I hope we can do in September is have an all-church retreat where we're going to gather multiple churches together just to give us a weekend to put our brakes on and to slow down. Because the last thing I want is a church full of folks that just suffered whiplash. And finally, I think sometimes we can be a little like Ananias, right? If we have been roughly going on the road, maybe we veer off occasions and we hit the rumble strips, but we get back on again, um, we can be a bit like Ananias. We can look at those who have made the changes, whose lives are changed, but we still hear the stories and we say, oh, Saul, that guy, really? I got to go and tell that guy, the guy who's going to be killing my buddies, that now he's going to be an instrument of the Lord. 
you're serious. But if we miss the folks who are turning themselves around, we'll also miss the times that we have new companions on our own journeys. Because as much as I love you all, it's nice to have new people come with us. Maybe folks who had a Saul moment, who had themselves blinded, but turned themselves around and are now heading the same direction with us. It's a lot easier to have a group of folks in a caravan than have to do it by yourself. There's only so many times we can play, you know, highway bingo together before we're going to get bored. So what's it like to bring some other folks in? We miss the opportunities if we don't find those folks to see how this holy story, this resurrection story, is changing people's lives, which can be one of the biggest nourishments, some of the best fuel, as we continue to go our direction. And if you're struggling to find one, I just invite you to go back and look at the story of the fire. For those of you who don't know, the person who set fire to this space came back and asked for forgiveness. He had his own Saul to Paul moment. And you all forgave him. So this here, this Ananias thing, is right built into our DNA. So if you ever are going to struggle with it, all you got to do is go back and look at that binder. How would we have heard that story had we not invited him here to tell it? And that's one really great, gigantic example. But there are so many times when there are folks who are just looking, maybe, to have somebody help them get out of park. Maybe get out of drive. Get themselves in reverse and say, you know Jesus loves you. You know Jesus was resurrected for you. This new life that we live is for you. And now... We have another friend who's going to drive with us. Friends, sometimes we are Saul. Sometimes we're struggling to change direction. Sometimes we're Paul. We're just fresh off of a change and we're feeling good. And sometimes we're Ananias who's like, really, do I have to be part of this? We're all there at some given day. Probably every hour we're changing. But as I invited us On Easter Sunday, no matter where we are, I invite you just to live into resurrection. We don't always have to explain the details. We don't always have to know. But gosh, can we tell that story to one another that, you know what? Jesus was resurrected for you to enjoy a new life, a new direction in your life. And maybe there are points when you need to know that it is time to stop. Have a couple days blinded from the world and engaged in prayer. And if there's any way I can help you find that retreat, I will do it. Because every once in a while, we need a moment to say, I need to stop. And where are those moments, friends, where we can slow, stop, and be blinded from the world and be with Christ? I invite you to try to find those this week. Five minutes, ten minutes. I don't know if you remember the um, last Sunday of the year. We sat around in tables together. We just asked some innocuous questions and we shared stories. 
that was a time when we as a community stopped for a second, put the brakes on and maybe went a different direction. They're out there, friends. So I just invite you. Find a way. Because who knows, in this congregation today, who is that person that is ready to become Paul? Who just needs an Ananias to remind them? Thanks be to God.